Before we start the show, if you want more stock talking, check out my newsletter at tinyletter.com slash bbrostoff or visit postcoronastocks.com. You can find me on Twitter at at BMB21. Now, on to the show. Welcome to Stock Talking, an exploration of financial markets in the context of the post-corona world. COVID-19 has changed the way we value equity, debt, and business as a whole. My goal is to find great companies who can thrive in the new normal. I can't wait to get started. All right, ladies and gents, welcome to another episode of Stock Talking. We have the impervious on coming off a fresh round of golf on Sunday in which we battled on some on some par threes. You have the best of me on the fours and fives, so congratulations on your golf victory. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Here to class up the joint with a bag of tricks. And uh, as usual, Ben, you are my favorite person to, uh, to make bets with. So if anything comes up on, on this pod, I will throw you some odds and let's, let's get some action here. I'm excited. The, the soundboard's a big addition to the podcast. As a fundamental podcast, not investor, but someone who thinks about the fundamentals, I, I think there's a strong correlation between successful podcasts and soundboards. I, I'm pretty sure Rogan has one. Um, got to think Adam Carolla has one, all the big names in the podcast industry rock the soundboard. So good job adding it. Yeah. And listeners, if there's any noises in there, any particular farts or any other nice little, uh, sound effects that, that you think would really add some character to the show, definitely, uh, let the fellas know. Okay. Let's open this thing up. So it is August 10th, about 7 PM, uh, market closed at about 335.57 today. Uh, we are slightly up on the year, I think. Um, but we have our bet. I have BRKB. You have triple Qs, rocking the Qs. Um, as of May 1st, 2020, when we made the bet, um, you are up 27% with a commanding lead. The market is up 18.7%. And I'm proud to say I am up 16.4%, still down. But Berkshire really has made quite the comeback. And I, I don't think it's just Apple. Um, I think the market was pretty happy with the earnings that were announced Saturday. Berkshire bought back $5 billion worth of stock. They did take a, a write down on one of their portfolio companies. Uh, but you got to be happy with an 86% increase in earnings, company buying back a ton of stock. Um, and overall, I mean, I, I have a lot of reasons to continue to feel bullish uh, on the Oracle. And I'm going to be holding my Berkshire. So, at 16 to 27, I mean, that's an 11% lead. I don't think it's over. I mean, there's a lot of football left to play. So uh, I, I, for the first time in a long time, I think I could be catching up. Well, in, another week goes by yet again. I'm sort of in disbelief by uh, some of the progress we've seen in the queues here. But uh, you, you know how much Warren Buffett loves those distressed assets. So it seems like a great buying opportunity to, to load up on some more Berkshire. And uh, he can buy himself all the Bank of America he wants, but it seems like he's, he's running out of ideas. And it seems like people are running out of places to stuff their money outside of tech. So uh, I'm sure that that, that jaws of, of difference will continue to grow as, as these cues, which uh, I was out going out on a limb last week in our, in our Discord, calling the top last week. It was a little early, 20, 272.50. Uh, hit to 73.50 later in the day on on that blow off top melt up Thursday, but uh, closing at 27031, uh, despite being down a little earlier in the day, that does look like it will hold. 
So maybe this is the opportunity for uh, you to make up a little ground there in this in this little wager we got. But I'm I'm quite certain that once uh, the bill go- comes due, the queues will will be on top. And even if uh, the market's wreckage and it's smoldering, there will still be you know a little more value there in the queues than than in BRKB. We'll see. I mean, I think one reason I feel a little bit confident is I think if we see a sector rotation from growth to value, which people have been talking about for years, hasn't happened, that would favor Berkshire. And, you know, I would quote something similar to what Ted Williams said, you know, hit, was able to hit 406 by not swinging at balls outside the strike zone. Uh, you know, keeping focused and just looking, looking for a pitch uh, right in the zone. I think that's what Buffett does, uh, waits for the perfect opportunity and then jumps on it. So market feels overbought. I think in a downside scenario where we see a huge correction, uh, Buffett has a huge cash pile and has a huge opportunity uh, to make a play that will benefit him for years to come versus the the cues are already overvalued. And I think they don't really have a whole lot to go but down um, as the market sells off. So we will see, but let's talk about the week that was. I know there were some earnings that caught your eye, um, some interesting price action. So let's hear all about it. Yeah, just from a, a macro level, uh, I mean, to your last point, the market, especially tech, being overbought. I mean, don't tell that to the uh, the folks out there buying Apple at four fifty and, and probably loving it and high fiving with whoever bought Tesla at seventeen hundred. And so there's clearly buyers in, in these, these blue chips, even at these absolutely ridiculous prices. Uh, but I think that definitely is a little bit of what we saw last week, which really is just another extension of the same type of market behavior we have. Uh, upward movement in the, in the S&P 500 would close today, uh, Monday, August 10th, uh, around 335 in the SPY, the S&P 500 ETF. Um, clearing uh, some some new uh, post-COVID highs, uh, but still, you know, showing, giving a little bit of, of something for everybody, whether you are bullish on this market or, or bearish. So, you know, last week uh, really culminated in Thursday with just a blow off top Apple and Facebook. Uh, having some insane days and really pulling up the rest of the market despite you know, pretty low volume, plenty of selling to be found, but not enough follow through on any of those sell-offs to really get something big going. Uh, and then Friday, we, we started the day with quite a bit of selling, but the story of last week has been these, these stick saves uh, at the close every single day, just like as soon as it looks like we might have a, a red day, just volume comes out of nowhere at 2 p.m. And the sixth law of, of thermodynamics has it that the, the NASDAQ must end green every single day, no matter what happens. And so it seems like uh, the bulls have been saved by the bell multiple days in a row, but that's really turned into some over-the-top uh, euphoric buying. And we just continue to see more money pouring and piling into the same tech names. Uh, and that really can just be limited to Facebook and Apple. Uh, Apple having a pretty big day, uh, closing up about $7 on the day. Facebook down slightly, uh, despite being up 5% at one point on Friday, almost closing in the red uh, and then selling off today. So it seems like some of that serious momentum on the top side, which let's not forget how much of the indexes uh, these tech heavyweights represent, uh, unless they can continue really driving the market forward, then some of that sector rotation uh, is going to have to come in and, and save the day. But uh, despite an early rally in uh, the small caps in the IWM, uh, the trend was down throughout the day, but still closing around 158. So if you were to be a betting person as I am looking forward, 
Uh, it almost seems like there's enough exhaustion here and enough uh, of, of a potential for, let's not call it a sell-off, but a, a correction. And a lot of last week, I think, was driven by uh, optimism that a new stim bill uh, would come through. Congress would find a way to re renew the helicopter money flying in for uh, everybody with the unemployment benefits. But really with the market continuing to be up, there is no incentive uh, for either side, I think, to make any major concessions. And this all culminated with some executive orders over this weekend from Donald Trump, which you know, I don't know if you want to get into that, but you know, high level, it seems like he's delivering on some of the needs that uh, a, a stimulus package would hopefully be able to deliver. But there is also the questionable aspect of that being pretty unconstitutional and whether or not any of those executive orders really have any weight or bearing. And also if the Democrats will sue uh, to keep that from from moving forward. Um, but with uh, the election coming up, I feel like we're about to get back into a much more news-driven market where different pieces, whether it be saying things like China uh, or updates from the Fed or some, some new more politically driven uh, updates, for example, you know, Biden's VP nominee or, or any update on the STEM package could really move things one way or another. Uh, but for the time being, I think there's definitely an expectation that the S&P 500 is going to grind its way up to uh, and pass all-time highs. There's just been you know, too many dollars and too much time grinding up here to, to not really hit that. But the contrarian view is that, you know, certainly it could fall short and sell off pretty significantly for any number of reasons. And uh, before I get into sort of the look ahead and definitely want to hear your thoughts in the, in the past week, uh, something that really stood out for me last week and something I called out in the last podcast uh, is how a lot of the, the cloud darlings uh, in growth stocks um, that had really taken the market by storm in the COVID era, showing really strong growth as a result of some of these paradigm changes, call out a couple like Fastly or Twilio, uh, despite good earnings, still sold off which is kind of uh, amazing. I mean, with the run-up, I guess that's to be expected uh, and certainly was the trend across the market. But for a market that's starved for any type of value in any stock that's worth owning or doesn't have any uh, massive malignant tumors on their uh, balance sheet, I think this represents an opportunity to get in at a great price for some stocks that uh, even raised guidance in, in earnings and, and continue to present um, a, a great growth story, even if you know, some of Cloud's growth may be slowing. Some of these upstart companies, I think, stand to continue to grow and gain market share and will be an attractive acquisition target for some of the big players like Amazon. But uh, the other story of last week is payment, payment processors continuing to dominate Square. Um, Having a, a a little early uh, release of their earnings, but popped on Tuesday before their earnings on Wednesday. Um, that was to be pretty much expected based on PayPal's movement. And I know Ben's a big fan of Mercado Libre in that space. But um, with everyone moving to contactless payments and more uh, online and e-retail, uh, I think we're only going to see those companies like Square and PayPal continue to grow their market share. Although there is some concerning stuff, at least with the Square earnings. Uh, for example, their exposure to a lot of the small businesses that are really still hurting and probably hurting even more than they were a few months ago. Uh, in terms of being able to stay open and operate like restaurants and different uh, food establishments. And also the fact that Cash App, despite the fact that it's growing, is not nearly as profitable as one would expect. So uh, we'll see if that growth continues. 
but uh, Square having having a heck of a week. So definitely interested to hear your thoughts on some of those earnings plays and what you're seeing from from last week, Ben. Yeah, so let's talk about a couple of things. Um, I'll start with earnings, but also want to get into some macro stuff and then general market valuation as a whole. So on the earnings side, I think the earnings last week were pretty good. And if you include today when Mercado Libre reported uh, stocks sold off a little bit, but I think they exceeded expectations. Um, some companies I'm following, Twilio, I thought had a really, really good quarter. Um, Cloudflare wrote about it on postcoronastocks.com, but I think that was uh, you know, similar to PayPal, their best quarter of all time. Uh, record hiring, seeing benefits of operating margin. Uh, they're just in a really good business where they touch security, uh, application performance, um, all types of things. Uh, they're, they're really playing where the cloud is going. Uh, in the Wayne Gretzky quote, you know, you want to be where the puck is going. And uh, I think Cloudflare is uh, the general destination for where companies need to be in terms of going from on-prem to the cloud. Um, definitely check out their earnings call. I, I think they were a good proxy for some of what we're seeing in terms of businesses spending dollars on uh, IT vendors. Um, I mean, there was a concern initially when COVID started that SaaS uh, as a general sector was going to get hit really hard as companies stopped spending money on their cloud services. Um, Cloudflare, although it's a little bit more essential than perhaps some other tech services you might have in your stack, I think really dispelled that notion uh, that, you know, in the first quarter they were, they said they were concerned about bad debt expense um, their guidance definitely included that some customers weren't going to be paying them. They said they were too pessimistic on their second quarter call. Uh, really nice to see that tech vendors are still getting paid. I think it uh, it trends well for the entire sector. And the fact that companies are still paying them, I think, says a lot about the macro as well. That said, from a technical perspective, um, Twilio sold off after earnings. I had probably the worst entry ever uh, when I bought it. I'm down 13%. Uh, if you're buying the stock, I think around 280. Um, PayPal also is, even though they reported two weeks ago, has sold off a bit since it reported. Um, and of course, uh, Twil- you know, uh, Cloudflare, Mercado Libre also a little bit down after positive earnings. So I think some of this is profit taking. You can never time the market, but ultimately, and I think I think if you like the outlook, if you like the earnings, you go ahead and own the stock. Uh, so I'm not too concerned about mistiming from that perspective. Um, so earnings, I, I think, continued to be really good for the last week. Um, Roku's another one I was following. Roku had an absolutely killer quarter. Um, really interesting to hear them talk about cord cutting. Um, the business there and seems like it's going to get more profitable as streaming uh, continues to become a market that more consumers go to. I think it's something like 17% of consumers uh, plan to cut the cord in the next year. Or so a lot of positive tailwinds going in Roku's direction. Moving on from earnings, talking about some of the macro stuff um, you brought up. You know, I'm not a politics guy. We'll let the other podcasts handle it. But I think one thing I have learned from watching this current administration uh, during COVID is they'll do whatever it takes in order to offer support to the economy. Uh, So I think this executive branch has been very accommodative in terms of extending unemployment benefits, um, doing business with the Democrats, which is something they seem to refuse to do uh, the first couple of years of, of the Trump administration. So I think ultimately it's about, for Trump, it's about getting reelected. So you're going to see a, a monetary and fiscal policy um, that ultimately is, is very beneficial to the consumer, very beneficial to the economy. Um, monetary policy obviously is the demand of the Fed. They're independent from the executive branch. But if we've seen anything from Powell, it's that he's taking cues from Bernanke during the last crisis. 
uh, will do anything to prop up the economy and doesn't matter what happens to the dollar. So you, know, you, you combine you know, the monetary and the fiscal. Um, I, I think that's essentially, a, you, know, it, you want to call it the Trump put or the Fed put. Um, the, the, they act as positive tailwinds for the rest of the economy. So on the macro side, like I'm willing to get over some of the concerns about the election, um, about COVID, about the China trade war, um, just because there is such an active uh, government and um, Federal Reserve that basically are willing to prop up the stock market as long as it takes. And yeah, I, I, I do remember 08 and 09 pretty well, and even 2010, because that was still kind of crisis level um, crisis area in terms of the macro. I mean, like unemployment was still uh, 9 and 10% all through 2011 or so. So I guess where I'm going with this is I, I think the macro end of the equation doesn't concern me too much. I think if we do see a sell-off, it's going to be more for profit-taking or technical reasons as opposed to some wild COVID-like external event drops. Um, I think, if anything, the data I've seen with COVID seems to suggest it's getting better in the United States and the world in general. Um, a lot of people are ignoring things like the death rate going down or states like um, you know. Florida, Arizona, Texas actually seeing their numbers improve after peaking during what was widely called the second wave. I know the Midwest remains a concern. Um, but again, I, I think COVID feels like it's in a very different place than it was in March or in April. Uh, final point I want to touch on is putting all the earnings and um, geopolitical stuff aside. If you just look at the market from a pure valuation perspective, I've written a lot about this in my newsletter, but the run-up um, in the stock market is widely driven by tech and consumer discretionary, consumer staples and materials. Uh, utilities, financials, real estate has all completely been left behind. Financials is 20% off the top. Energy is 30% off the top. So, I mean, we really live in kind of this um, bisected stock market where there's essentially two stock markets, one being cyclicals, energy, financials, and the other being tech and I guess consumer staples as well. Um, so if you think about it from that perspective, I think um, that that first stock market, the cyclicals, the energy and the financials remains undervalued. Um, and I think I'm a buyer of that. So yeah, for all those reasons, I, I, I think it's difficult for me to get bearish at this point, but I've always been the bullish guy on this podcast. So those are, those are my two cents on general market stuff. Uh, I'd love to hear your response and then also talk about the week ahead. Yeah, so to, to at least play devil's advocate there, since you're ever the optimist, Ben, you know, that's part of the reason I like you. Uh, I think there is still plenty of reason to be bearish. And, you know, if nothing else, uh, then based on just uh, the trolling from, from the bulls and just how certain that stocks will continue to go up and have some, some upside targets in the neighborhood of something like 360 first buy. But even those bulls assume that there will be some type of downturn. I mean, the, the continued upward movement uh, can't continue forever. And I feel like you have to realize that a lot of this rally has been driven by fiscal and monetary policy and certainly not by uh, any increase in productivity uh, or any of the economic measurements. And, you know, repeat after me, the the market is not the economy. And I get that. I get that. But at the same time, I feel like there's plenty of concerning indicators to be seen out there. So 
I, moving forward, especially with the election coming up, I see the market taking more of a role as almost being a referendum on uh, the the president, uh, whether it be um, a a approval poll for for Donald Trump in terms of stocks are up, there is definitely a support for at least his policies, if not the guy. Uh, whereas if the market is down in expectation um, that there will be a change of administration. And I think there's a lot to be concerned about if there were to be uh, a, a Democratic uh, administration coming in. For example, you know, I've heard things like I believe Kamala Harris as part of her platform, a essentially sales tax for, for, for any stock sales or purchases that be either flat two or four percent. So that doesn't include uh, even capital gains taxes. So if that does look like even a remote possibility, basically anyone that's taken a part of this run up is almost certainly going to be taking profits in the very, very near future. Uh, but from a monetary standpoint, there's an interesting situation that's developing that I feel like is flying under the radar, but could certainly uh, become a, a main driver for the market. And so one of the, the obvious uh, byproducts of all the money printing, obviously, this is not being created by uh, productivity and commerce. This is just the money that's being injected into the economy. And since we have a growing deficit, the Fed recently uh, released their, their numbers. So they will be injecting an additional $2 trillion, uh, in treasury issuances between August and October. And so while one expects in an inflationary environment, the dollar will lose value. And we've seen that in the DXY, the dollar index, which really measures uh, the dollar strength versus a mix of other currencies, including the euro and yen primarily. Uh, but as with all metrics, whether it's for the strength of the dollar or inflation, not, none of them really tell the whole story there. So even though we've seen the dollar uh, really start bottoming out. And there's pretty much a, a consensus uh, short play there amongst investors and along of the euro expecting the dollar to continue drop with all the printing. Uh, on Friday and at the end of the week, we, we saw really the, the DXY bottom out uh, around 92.50, um, bounced off that level three times and has been moving up at a pretty steady rate. So with the Fed um, continuing to expand their balance sheet, that creates a mechanical shortage of dollars. So basically, you need to make like a little down payment there to get a bunch of money printed for you. Um, so not, not an economist here. Maybe, maybe call up one of your uh, more knowledgeable friends to explain that in more detail. But basically, this is what we actually saw back in March um, right after the initial drop with COVID on that liquidity crisis is the dollar just skyrocketed, which causes asset prices as well as precious metals to plummet. So since we've sort of been the beneficiary in gold and equities, both of them, um, with a weakening dollar and a flight to assets and also precious metals, since basically the Fed is doing whatever they can uh, to make sure that your money is in the stock market with uh, trash yields and basically no other way to get any type of return on your investment other than playing in the relatively riskier space of assets. But with the run that gold and silver have been on, I think that the inverse correlation that can be tracked there to the dollar and how tightly they're correlated to equities prices uh, definitely shows some risk if that dollar number were to start surging up uh, as the Fed begins to load up their balance sheet. So that's something that I think is really uh, sort of counterintuitive for uh, some of the maybe less savvy investors, but um, make sure to watch closely with that dollar index, especially if you have a large precious metal position, uh, as I do, 
uh, and have definitely uh, taken some profits in some of the shorter plays, definitely still holding plenty of longs. And I'm very, very bullish on the precious metals in the long term. Um, but in terms of a fiscal and monetary catalyst that could kick off uh, some type of selling or at least uh, lowering of asset values here, I think that presents a very, very strong case. And also another indicator that I really like to use, something that's more black magic and makes you feel smart until uh, you actually realize that you don't know what it means, uh, is the dark pool index from Squeeze Metrics. Got a great white paper on there as far as what this means, but the, the dark pool index known affectionately as uh, the dicks, uh, basically tracks the sentiment of the dark pool, uh, which for those keeping score at home, the dark pool are basically uh, either private uh, or private deals negotiated privately or foreign exchanges rather than uh, the usual exchanges like the New York Stock Exchange, um, where stock and option sales are negotiated in Maine. Basically, um, a lot of the big players, whether they're hedge funds or market makers, uh, will have a significant amount of volume going through the dark pool. So that usually represents institutional players. And um, one of the benefits that affords them is a delay between when the stock sale is made and when it's reported, uh, which gives a little bit of a lag in terms of how that affects the market. But anyway, so this dark pool indicator basically tracks the sentiment of uh, those dark pool transactions and it's as a percent and while you can never read directly into it as far as what this percent means will it be an up day or a down day what we saw is on friday between thursday and friday a sharp drop off in that dicks number from uh, about 47 ish to uh, down in the 43.4 range uh, but this number for today's trading, which was released around 530, uh, has the number now at 40.8%. And this is significant because one, uh, this is a major drop off. So that shows a major increase in bear sentiment on the dark pool. But this current number we have 40.8%. This is the lowest since March. Uh, so we haven't seen in the dark pool this type of bear sentiment um, since we were down in the SPY 240 range. Uh, at which point the dark pool index shot up and, uh, you know, obviously for um, that, that crazy rally that we've been on since then. Um, but if I were to pick, pick one wagon to, to put my horses up to, I definitely think that smart money uh, taking a, a bearish stance, whether that just means hedging their longs uh, or opening up some short legs here. Uh, is definitely a good indication that there is some risk to the upside and that maybe they aren't buying this rally uh, as much as it appears. So between the, the dollar index there and this Dick's number, there's a narrative here that doesn't require something like a, a COVID event, which I'm certainly fading at this point. The market hasn't really reacted to any of the numbers or anything other than um, some, some real weak vaccine pumps, uh, which sort of get diminished returns at this point. Um, but this is definitely a fiscal and monetary uh, effect that I think uh, it could have a bigger impact than anyone is, is really taking into account. So that, that's one thing I'm looking for in the week ahead. We could see the, the dark pool index come up, but I wouldn't be surprised if at some point in this week we do see some degree of selling. And one thing to keep in mind, I mean, especially with the run up in tech, some of these stocks like Apple and Facebook could you know, have a 10% down day and still be well above where they were uh, for their previous earnings and certainly very positive on the year. So that's just sort of an indicator in how overbought some of these sectors are. And so that, and it, when it dovetails into at least the political 
uh, discussion. I don't think a stimulus bill gets done unless we have something like a three to 5% sell-off. And that puts a lot of pressure, at least on the Trump administration, come to the bargaining table. But until then, you know, there's, there's not really any meaningful stim to get done, but you could have sort of a perfect storm of conditions there uh, that does create a situation for some selling. But if we're going to all-time highs and higher, uh, I think the dip buying you'd see if there was even just a 5% uh, cool off here would definitely rocket us way past current levels. Yeah, some interesting points on the those market indicators. I think on your point on um, precious metals and the dollar index, that completely makes sense if we see a dollar shortage. We should see the dollar come back a little bit which would obviously cause declines in silver and gold. I think the one thing we've always agreed on in this podcast is we're both long-term bullish on precious metals. So if that were to happen, um, would you be a buyer of gold and silver in that situation? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And I think that a lot of the run-up we're seeing here is, is a couple of different factors. It's easy to just basically uh, tie gold and silver to things like inflation directly. But I think there's some intrinsic situations here. For example, silver uh, or in the traditional gold to silver ratio uh, being so out of whack that silver is still has plenty of room to go just to catch up to that traditional, I believe it's 14 to 1 uh, gold to silver ratio in terms of cost. Uh, but then there are other situations like, for example, the growing scarcity of silver. It's uh, basically a metal that is closer to the ground. So a lot of the easy to find stuff has already been found and we're expecting some of the largest deliveries, whether that's to central banks uh, or some of these ETFs like the GLD or SLV uh, ETFs to uh, meet a lot of the demand. We are seeing a lot of uh, individual investors starting to hoard at least the physical assets. So there is scarcity being created for those. So I still think that some of the long-term price targets, whether that's you know up to $60 for silver and potentially $2,500 for gold by year end, uh, are certainly very valid. But I think if you missed out on a lot of this run-up, you'll have a good buying opportunity uh, in the next month or so if uh, the dollar does start to spike. Um, and especially if you're holding on right now, it wouldn't be a bad idea to take some profits and then be able to re-enter and have a much larger position size. But uh, they've also been on a pretty big run, so you could expect to cool off in, in a bit. And so there's no reason why they can't go higher. In fact, it's kind of amazing that people think that gold and silver are uh, overbought, and yet you know these people would pile into Apple at 450. So there's absolutely no reason why they can't continue to move higher. But that strong correlation with the dollar, at least right now, um, is something that would need to be broken or brought down before I feel it's, it's risk-free and would, would load up a, a bigger position or, or more leveraged position than, than I do currently. Yeah. I, I mean, just to nitpick, I think some people would respond, well, Apple, you could value on a forward earnings perspective and justify the valuation as opposed to a gold or silver, which there aren't really traditional metrics to track it. I'm not saying that, but that, that's what the naysayers would, would battle you on. I did want to follow up so we're talking real quick to those people. I say, don't you realize that in a month you could get four times as much Apple for the same price? And so you're telling me buying it right now is a better deal. <laughs> okay, well, well, for all the listeners out there, uh, that that is not <laughs> an accurate statement. But uh, we will move on. Uh, you will be able to get the four more, sh four times number of shares, but that will not change the value of your position at all. I got to defend against the fake news, dude. <laughs> this is for entertainment purposes only, everyone. You need, you need a fake news thing on the soundboard. I think that can play well on our, on our podcast. Um, well, R&D for stock talking are, are working on it. There we go. Get, get the intern on that. 
Um, so, but while we're on the subject of precious metals, um, I think we should talk about crypto just briefly. One of your picks from last week, uh, Riot, <laughs> I think had a killer week. I think it was is probably up like thirty or forty percent since you recommended it. It's it's been pretty insane to see the surge in the crypto names and obviously um, Ethereum and uh, Bitcoin since uh, maybe last week or two weeks. I mean, crypto has been on fire. I'm not really sure of what the explanation is there, um, but would would want to get your thoughts on if crypto should track the precious metals or if there's an advantage to buying crypto over the precious metals. At least right now, I consider crypto to be in sort of the same asset class as uh, precious metals as a, a risk asset. And, and real quick, that riot pick. So uh, that worked out. But I didn't realize that Davey Day Trader was uh, loading up a pump and dump on Marathon, um, which which he started pumping the day after I, I made that uh, tout. So I didn't realize I was front running Davey Day Trader, but might have got some some Robin Hood headwinds because Marathon was in the top 10 the day after. But um, for the time being, I'm, I'm still watching, right? But when it comes to crypto, I'll admit that I'm I, it's still not really buying the narrative behind any individual coin as far as, you know, the technology, read the white paper, this and that, you know, that's tangential to what I see being the, the value, which is that there is a market for it and there's a market for it in dollars. So as the dollar uh, becomes less valuable. These these assets will continue to appreciate in value. Um, crypto still is a bit volatile for my taste. You know, we see a sell off almost weekly uh, about midnight um, between Saturday to Sunday. But we have seen some pretty steady upward growth, particularly in Bitcoin, being really strong at the end of last week. So I've definitely been adding to my positions in a lot of the main coins there: Bitcoin, Ethereum. Uh, also taking a position in XRP. But when it comes to understanding what the the major catalysts are for a move up or a sell-off, uh, it's it's definitely at this point uh, a little more enigmatic to me than um, uh, any type of, of equity just because you don't have things like earnings, you don't have uh, the same type of, of exchange um, action here that sort of normalizes a lot of the things that are, are traded on Wall Street. So I think they're to be taken seriously. That's that's for sure. But I think this uh, dollar uh, or, or liquidity crunch potentially uh, could also affect crypto in the same way. I think it'll come out even stronger once it decouples a bit from the major indexes, because at least at this point, it's hard to tell whether they're growing uh, in lockstep with uh, the major um, indexes or if there is some some story there for crypto. Uh, but when it comes to crypto, I think there's absolutely nothing wrong with tranching a position, just putting a couple bucks in every now and then, not needing to worry about whether it's a good time to buy. Certainly, if it just sold off, maybe Sunday morning is a good time to set up a uh, recurring deposit there. Um, but I think they're here to stay. And I don't know about the altcoins. I don't see a ton of value there. I know some more sophisticated crypto investors that uh, have some arbitrage schemes that uh, could potentially work out. But in terms of the, the time investment and potential ROI, I'd rather just begin building a position. Same with gold and silver. It's always good to just have some. Um, there will always be value there, at least for the precious metals. I don't know that will always be the case for crypto. Um, but here we are, you know, 10 years into at least Bitcoin and a good three years after um, the the irregular or original speculatory bubble to, to think that there is some staying power here. Uh, I don't know if there's the same upside, you know, seeing uh, Bitcoin over 100K that 
a lot of the major crypto bulls are calling for. Um, but I don't think that the 2017 highs are out of the question in, in the medium term future, potentially even near term future, based on how volatile a lot of the sort of monetary things are and based on what we've seen with uh, precious metals. Yeah, I mean, strangely, I agree with you. I think any time over the last three years, I've been bullish or bearish or any way in between um, on the coins or on crypto in general. I mean, I think one thing that keeps me relatively bullish, and when I say relative, I think if I had to rank all the assets in the world, I don't think crypto would be last. I think it would be somewhere in that 40th to 60th percentile. Uh, but I think what's got me there is it seems like institutional investors and the kind of hedge fund and institutional money of the world is moving towards accepting it as an asset class. I mean, the Paul Tudor Jones letter a couple months ago was huge. Um, you're hearing more and more about crypto ETFs. I think there will be more and more big names come out and uh, endorse crypto as an asset class. Warren Buffett will not be one of them. I can assure you that. We've already heard his thoughts on it. But uh, it wouldn't be surprising to me to hear a major politician or a major money manager announced that they think crypto has a place in the future of asset allocation. Uh, anyways, though, I mean, we could talk all day about crypto. I'm interested in hearing your picks for the week ahead. Yeah. And one, one last thought on crypto. I mean, with as much as the Fed is trying to do to make sure that you do not hold on to your cash, either putting it in the market or elsewhere, I uh, definitely think there's worse, worse places you can put uh, you know, a small amount of savings than in, in crypto, at least for the time being, if you've got no other uh, outlet or resources, or you're just interested in learning the game. But for the week ahead, I'm, I'm still in a position where I feel like a, a market direction needs to be determined, um, just because even though all signs kind of point to up, at least from a price action standpoint, uh, I, I do think a, a nice little correction would be necessary to give a good buying opportunity or an entry for, for some longs or some good call plays. Uh, but what I'm looking for the week ahead, and um, a lot of these stocks we already called out, some of those cloud stocks that got hammered last week. So Cloudflare is one that stands out to me. Um, sitting below that $40 mark. Uh, once it makes it above that, I think it's, it's definitely got room to run, um, unfairly beaten down after earnings. And Fastly, once it finds a bottom, uh, will also represent a great buying opportunity. Uh, now, a lot of these stocks, they are kind of growth stocks, and this is the time of year when growth stocks get hammered. So there's an expectation of a move to value. I don't know that I'm buying banks, even though they had a nice day today. Crude's still sitting at around a little below 42 bucks. Um, the demand's not coming back. Travel's not looking that good, even though there was a nice bump for airlines based on uh, word of another bailout. So it's not like the demand is coming back. Um, but if if you are bullish, you're one of these people that thinks that stocks can go only go up, then I think Microsoft definitely presents a great buying opportunity below 210. Uh, could open below that level tomorrow. Watch the opening action there. But if you can get in below 210 and the market is looking strong and going up, um, there's definitely going to be some rotation into another one of the tech blue chip um, bellwethers for the market. Um, but another stock that I'm really watching um, is CrowdStrike Holdings. And this is probably one of my favorite stocks, at least from a long-term perspective uh, out there. I think that the cybersecurity space and all of the different services they offer are going to become even more necessary um, as a lot of the uh, digital espionage ramps up, whether that's you know nation state actors or just a couple kids in Florida that realize they can make a couple bucks on Bitcoin by hacking into Twitter. But that's all good business for CrowdStrike. Uh, and we saw FireEye really crush earnings 
a couple weeks ago and still sitting well above that that $15 market move to actually just about $16. So that's a great long play. But CrowdStrike, we've seen up near $120. It closed at $97, which is basically the bottom range. It's been bouncing off for a while. So a strong move up from this $97 level. I could easily see CrowdStrike clearing that 120 mark and moving much higher in the future. Again, with some real high profile hackings, Garmin's another name to throw out there. Uh, there's no shortage of, of business here. And as we've seen, sectors kind of move together with earnings. And I believe CrowdStrike's coming up at the beginning part of September. Uh, there's still a nice run up you can, can catch on. So um, CrowdStrike, another one you might need to wait to see where that bottom is. But 97 is typically my buy signal. So if it doesn't dip too far below that, I think this is definitely a great time to enter, uh, you know, maybe a, a September or October call uh, anticipating um, that, that earnings move or even just add to your position. Uh, again, I think this is long term a play that uh, even in a COVID world or all the other uh, chicanery notwithstanding um, definitely represents a lot of growth uh, potential and one I'm very bullish on. Yep. I, I also want to endorse uh, CrowdStrike and FireEye. I own both of them and I intend to hold them for as long as the cybersecurity thesis is, is still in place. Um, one notable thing on the Cloudflare earnings call, they announced in the second quarter they blocked more distributed denial of service attacks than they ever have any previous quarter. They saw a 37% uptick in cybersecurity attacks. I mean, the a lot of companies would be proud to have the growth uh, from a compound annual growth rate perspective that we're seeing in attacks uh, on the cybersecurity front. This is going to be a major problem, and it's only going to compound, I think, during election season. Um, I, I think you're, you could definitely see an uptick in the business uh, that a FireEye or um, a Cloudflare or even like a Jamf, which is like physical security on machines uh, that, you know, you'll install the Jamf software on a Mac and it will, it will run it um, and you can remotely turn the Mac off if you're a, a security administrator. I think all of, all of those tools are things you need if you want to be serious about security in 2020. And again, coming into this most recent election cycle, you can bet that uh, China and Iran and a lot of countries that are not the best friends of the United States uh, are gearing up for an attack cycle. Um, so I think the enterprise security names are, are just incredible long-term owns. Uh, on Microsoft, wanted to ask you one follow-up. So I feel like that stock has recently traded a lot on the TikTok news. Um, interested to hear how you think it will trade if it acquires TikTok, if those talks go sideways, or if the U.S. government just bans them from buying TikTok, which is still in the scope of possibility, I think. It seems like at this point, the U.S. government is more interested in just trying to leverage the best deal they possibly can out of TikTok, basically just steal that business for uh, some some American corporation. Uh, so it has moved a bit on it, um, not as much as I would expect. So I I don't know how much to price that that number in, but if there was an acquisition, that's definitely a good two to three percent bump, uh, either after hours or during trading when that does come. So especially right now uh, at the current pricing, I think that presents a major upside catalyst to push up past some of the levels it's been struggling with since selling after earnings. Um, so that that to me is is really just a nice tailwind. Uh, I don't know how much of a driver that is for the business on the upside. I think there is uh, a bit too much um, intrigue involved with that potential acquisition for it to be uh, a smooth you know, pump and uh, integration into uh, the Microsoft system here. But 
with how much the the market is reacting to positive news um, that's that's going to be something to move it up but as of right now that's still sort of a, a political bargaining chip I think for the Trump administration so there's too many things that could go wrong there for me to really uh, buy that rumor right now and feel like that's a, a strong uh, play to the upside but fortunately the technicals right now at least present enough of a case there to, to think that now might be a good time to enter or open some type of call position with Microsoft. Yeah, the, the name that probably deserves more attention and is more correlated is Fastly, which Fastly's largest customer is TikTok. And you would think if Microsoft acquires them, they probably keep that relationship alive. I think there's a chance that maybe Microsoft goes out and acquires Fastly. So we saw Fastly trade off, you know, 28%. We'll get to it when we talk about the Daily Fantasy Sports game. But um, I think there's major fear in the market right now that Fastly will uh, not have TikTok as a paying customer in the near future. All right, should we? Uh, do you have any more picks for the week, or you want to talk some DFS? Uh, real quick, just a couple hits on earnings. Uh, so we actually had uh, SPG Simon uh, Group reporting after hours, uh, not down too much, a little bit, despite reporting uh, some pretty interesting numbers here, including lent or some some rent deferrals uh, equating to about 51% of billings for April and May combined 69% for June 73% for July uh this is one area that i feel like in that being you know commercial real estate uh is in big time trouble especially if there is any type of rent deferral obviously that's more kind of consumer level but uh I don't think that retail is coming back, at least brick and mortar in malls, even though they are open. Who's going to a mall right now? If they weren't already, they were already a dying institution. So uh, that, that definitely represents some downside. But uh, we've got Tencent also this afternoon uh, with some of the Trump administration's words um, about uh, Tencent that certainly um, could be uh, inhibiting to, to any future growth. And also I want to watch Jumia's on fire uh, the last week, and that is an e-tailer operating in Nigeria, in Africa. So uh, I personally think most of the uh, online retail stocks are way overpriced. Um, you know, there's way too many players there, uh, and Amazon is really the dominant one, so it's only a matter of time until they steal their market share. But, you know, if there's a ride there to get on, um, you know, that could be propelled even higher after those earnings or just dump. But there's a play, play somewhere in there in Jumia. I just don't know what it is yet. Gotcha. Definitely some interesting earnings on the horizon. Not earnings, but one more I would throw out this week that I'm watching. Uh, big announcement from Interactive Core, IAC, that is the media conglomerate run by Barry Diller and jo uh, Joey Levin. They announced they are investing $1 billion for about a 12% equity stake in MGM. Um, this, to me, is, is affirmation of a, a long-term thesis I've had on online sports gambling and casinos in general, which is these are pretty undervalued names. I mean, during the height of COVID, we saw a, a huge amount of insider buying in MGM um, and in Penn and in Caesars also. So, I, you know, if you look at that letter that IAC put out today, definitely worth a look. I can link it in the show notes. Um, but IAC explaining why they bought uh, such a large portion in MGM, basically saying that when you take out the real estate and physical book value of the casino itself, uh, the market is valuing the digital business at pretty much zero. Uh, and for any of us who have played daily fantasy sports or bet on sports online, uh, the future for microtransactions and for betting on every aspect of sports uh, is very bright. I mean, 
you talk about uh, a, a future where you can bet on any individual play uh, through you know the click of a of a button, um, you know, be it on app or on desktop or any other medium. Um, I think that we could totally change uh, how we see sports gambling um, just as a, a medium. Um, and, and it's it's already entering podcast ads I uh, regularly listen to. I think there's a lot you could do around advertising. I think there's a lot you could do in terms of offering points um, or offering different incentives around particular bets. Um, so I think it's a really nascent medium. And I think IAC sees this. And the, the key thing to remember here is uh, the only way you can actually process payments um, or accept bets for online sports gambling is through a physical on-prem casino. Um, the IC brings this up in their letter about MGM. So these kind of entrenched uh, incumbents, you know, be it MGM or Penn or Caesars, um, they are the gateways to online sports for the payment processors, for the fan duels, for the DraftKings of the world. So... I think that's a huge advantage. They're, they're basically a, a part of the supply chain um, that is there for the foreseeable future until the laws change. Um, but really bullish on MGM. It was only up, I mean, when I say only, you know, only in quotes, but it was only up 12 or 13% today. If you really think the market was valuing the digital business at zero, you know, 12% increase is really uh, not too much to, to think about. So I, I would recommend buying IAC and MGM. I own both, um, and I'm very long-term bullish on both. IAC's track record is simply excellent. You know, they bought Match. They bought Expedia. Uh, they bought a ton of names really early. They bought Vimeo uh, very early in its history. They bought Angie's List in 2004. Um, so to me, this is almost like the Berkshire of kind of tech investing. Um, I just think you know, Diller and Levin are, are just these incredible minds um, and really excited about the MGM investment. Um, so that is my pick of the week. Maybe not for the next week ahead, but uh, I think that IC and MGM are names you want to own for the foreseeable future. Uh, that's all I got there. Real, real quick before we move on, would you take a bet here, Ben? Uh, we could do similar to the uh, Berkshire in NASDAQ bet here. I'll take CrowdStrike over the next year versus IAC or MGM, however you'd like to, to structure that. Interesting. Okay. I, I'm trying to think of which one I'd prefer. Um, I think MGM would surge if we see any type of vaccine on the horizon or, or a decrease in kind of COVID cases. I, I'll take MGM straight up over CrowdStrike uh, as another $100 bet starting now. Nice, nice. Because sports betting requires sports to happen. So I, I like my odds here since uh, not very bullish on, on getting a, a full schedule. But what about, I mean, esports? <laughs> I, I think people forget too that like the, the number of things we can bet on that don't require people to be in close contact with each other is essentially infinite. People were gambling on simulated Madden games <laughs> during the height of COVID. That was an actual offering that DraftKings brought to the table. Well, I've got a better idea. Instead of betting on sports, why don't we bet on stocks? Let's do it. Okay, so we got two bets now. We will add an MGM versus CrowdStrike to the beginning of the show. I'm very excited about that one. I own both, so I think it's a win-win for me in general. Should we, should we do some DFS and then close this thing out? Let's do it. Okay, so let's, let's do a quick review of last week. We don't have to get into the specifics, but... Uh, what tanked me this week was Fastly. <laughs> that I was long that, and I paid fourteen thousand dollars in fake money for the right to a negative twenty nine percent return on Fastly uh, for the week. Um, the only name I had that performed moderately well was Bank of America. Um, you had an absolutely killer week. Uh, 
9% return on Square on uh, really good earnings off that name. Moderna, you were up 5%. Um, so overall, good job by you uh, taking the, the previous week. Uh, any, any thoughts on your victory lap? Uh, I would like to share this thought on your performance. I, sh- I told you, Fastly, man. I mean, it's just run up way too much. I don't know what you're expecting there. But quick shout-out to listener Mike B for also beating Ben, throwing some shade with a uh, Mercado Libre short, but uh, still came short of this week's uh, winner and the all-time champion, uh, Dean Purvis. Yeah, so we encourage you to play along with us. I post the pricing sheet on Twitter every Sunday night. So I would, I would look forward to a listener taking the victory in the future. Um, for this week ahead, I completely changed my strategy. I spent $38,000 out of a possible fifty grand, um, but I am short SPY and long gold workday, Salesforce, PayPal, and Bank of America banking on a good week for the market. Um, and also picking some relatively safe names that don't have earnings on the horizon. This seems to be a reaction after Fastly completely burned me. I don't think in the near future I'll be taking on such a volatile stock into the daily fantasy sports contest. Um, would you like to overview your lineup? Absolutely. So at the uh, quarterback spot, my most expensive play this week is the SQQ, the inverse uh, 3x leverage bear ETF for uh, the NASDAQ. So um, betting big on some continued down move for the Qs, and I think the squirrel is, is a great play there. Uh, much cheaper if you want to buy in right now, basically uh, bargain basement prices for the SQQ. See prints on that all day in the dark pool. So people are accumulating positions if there was you know any type of sell-off or uh, we'll call it a correction in the NASDAQ. Uh, major upside, so cheap way to get exposure in a sell-off there. Uh, also, going back to the well with CrowdStrike, so I'm very bullish this week moving forward. Also, uh, Salesforce CRM, I thought that was a nice bargain play at 7100 We got an earnings run-up, seeing a lot of bullish call activity there. Um, going back, if uh, hopefully second time is a charm here with a spy short. Um, you know, that could be blown up and I'll run it out next week because one of these weeks we are going to see a three to 5% move, um, down and then potentially an even bigger move up afterwards. So I definitely see some spy movement being a great value play at 4,100. Uh, and then going to the miners, surprisingly, the miners, uh, sold off at the end of last week, despite, uh, some strong moves from gold and silver, but going with Barrick's gold, who looks to be in the strongest position has attracted the most interest from buyers and also pass a, uh, a silver miner here, continuing to see some upside in silver. Uh, despite my comments earlier about potential risk in gold and silver, that's sort of my hedge uh, against a, a sell-off here because I think that there's you know still plenty of momentum to the upside for those uh, precious metals, um, especially cooling off a little bit after hitting some highs on Thursday last week. So if that dollar move does not happen, I uh, still see, see a lot of value there. Yeah, it's going to be an exciting one to watch. I'm, I'm a little sad to see second quarter earnings ending. Uh, I think it was pretty exciting. Uh, one of the more exciting earnings seasons I've seen in a long time. So I have to wait till the third quarter. But in the meantime, we do have degenerate gambling to distract us. Lots to look forward to. All right, buddy. As always, another excellent podcast. Uh, any closing words for the listeners? Uh, I think that's all I got. So happy trading, everyone, and uh, watch watch that dicks. 
All right, we will see you next time. Thanks for listening. To hear more episodes of Stock Talking and read a blog with my latest trade recommendations, market commentary, and more, visit postcoronastocks.com.